Jesus loves us. We know Jesus loves us. But we, everyone in here better be thankful that Jesus loves the Father more than he loves us. Because Jesus loves the Father so much and wants to be obedient to the Father and bring the Father glory so much that our salvation is kept in heaven because of that. Why are we seeking Jesus? That's a very straightforward question that comes with a lot of different ways to answer it. A lot of the times in scripture you see the crowd following Jesus because they want the provision rather than the provider. So ask yourself this question today. Why are you following after Jesus? We're listening today from the pulpit of Cedar Point Baptist Church with Tyler Ford as he opens up God's word to John chapter 6. But we see what happened there. God provided their needs in the wilderness. He provided food for them. He provided a way for them of escape out of Egypt. Yet the crowd was still displeased with the way God was doing things. Uh, the crowd was seeking a God that worked in their way. A God that did things exactly the way that they thought it should have been done. We come now to John chapter 6, and what we have seen really throughout God or throughout John's gospel uh, to this point is we see people, large, large crowds, following Jesus. Now, why are they following Jesus? And that is ultimately what Jesus is going to deal with in this text today. Um if we look at, well, we're going to look at this in really three sections. We're going to look at 22 through uh, 24, then 25 um, through 34, and then really spend most of our time in verses 35 through 40, uh, kind of using these first two sections to build up the case and the context for us. So, so really in verses 22 through 24, it's kind of the bridge from last week to this week. It says on the next day, so we're we're a day away from Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000 and then walking on the water at night to his disciples. We're the next day away from that. So the crowd still was there. They were still on the other side away from Jesus now because Jesus and his disciples had gone to the other side on boat. We talked about that last week. So this crowd, this large crowd is still on the other side. Uh, they've woke up the next morning. You know, bellies are no more, no longer full from the day before when Jesus fed them loaves and fish. Uh, so the next day, since they remained on the other side of the sea, they saw that there had only been one boat there, and they knew that Jesus did not get on that boat. So if you remember, Jesus was up on the mountain watching the disciples go across the water on the boat. He told them to go to the other side. He walked onto the mountain. So they're a little perplexed about where Jesus is. It says, other boats... From the Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, what did they do? They went, they got under the boats, 
They went to Capernaum, the other side, and what does it say they were doing? It says they were seeking Jesus. But here's the question that we come to at the end of this first section of our text. Why were they seeking Jesus? What did they want with him? I think that there were three things they could have brought. One is strongly implied by Jesus in the next section. They wanted more food. They wanted more bread. They, 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 they were there. Jesus fed them the night before, the day before. He fed them in a miraculous way. They wanted more food. They were hungry. They were hungry again. It was the next day. The second thing they wanted, they wanted to see another miracle. They wanted to see something amazing happen. They had just watched him. They, they, their eyes were on it. When, when Jesus took the, the, the loaves and the fish and he fed everyone there. They had heard of the miracles that, that we've already seen where Jesus turned the water into wine. They had heard of the other healings and things that John doesn't talk about in his text, but, but the feeding of the 5,000 was probably the fifth miracle that, that was public. So they had, they had heard or seen the other three. Or they just wanted to be a part of the crowd. They didn't want to miss out. They didn't want to get in the market later in the evening and everyone talking about what Jesus had done, what he had said, and they did not want to miss out on that. But what we can, we can say from the whole of the text is they weren't seeking Jesus for the right reasons. So the question then that we need to wrestle with as we are looking through this text is why are you seeking Jesus? What is it about Jesus that makes you seek after him? Why are we here? We then see in verses 25-31, Jesus reveals the reason uh, that uh, this large group of people are, as it says at the end of verse number uh, 24, seeking Jesus. And, and we'll look at this in a couple different sections. Verse 25-26. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? <coughs> and then Jesus answered. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Wow. Jesus says, the only reason you're here, the only reason you're concerned with where I'm at, <coughs> is so you can get more food. You've already ate all the food I provided, but wanting more. Verse 27, Jesus says, Do not worry for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So now Jesus takes their, um, their issue, their, their desire to have more food, and he puts the spiritual spin on it, and he says, do not work for this food that perishes. So he says, you're seeking me for all the wrong reasons. Now, we talked about last week that, that, that traveling from one side of uh, the sea to the other side of the sea wasn't necessarily an easy thing. You had to get on the boat. It was a rough ride. Storms could rise up on, on the sea there. It was something that was difficult. It was several hours of a journey. And here's what Jesus said. Don't seek me. Don't work for food that perishes. But if you are going to seek me, seek me for the right reason. Seek me for the spiritual food that never perishes. 
And then we have our, our reference, or excuse me, verse 28 through 29. Uh, then they said to him, they asked a question. What must we do? To, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said to them, This is the work of God. That you believe in him who is sick. Then in verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So notice what happened here. Notice the, the, where their mind automatically went to. Jesus had just said in verse number 29, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent me. And their answer to that is, Well, what sign are you going to give us? <laughs> What are you going to do for us that we might believe? What are you going to show us that, that we will believe that the Father sent you? Notice then what they said in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to be. We just read that. And notice what they didn't believe, even after God gave them the manna in heaven. They still grumbled. They still complained. They still wanted more from God. They never did trust in God's uh, providence and He'll provide them for them along the way. They never did trust in God make, saying they're going to make it. They just complained the whole way. And so Jesus, even the, the argument that they're making here is invalid because Jesus knows the Scriptures. But clearly they don't understand. So in verses 32 it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is this, he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here's what Jesus says. Yeah, I know the story. I was there. But understand, it's not Moses who gives you true bread from heaven. The Father has gave you bread from heaven. It's not the bread that was in the exodus, not the manna that fell from heaven. But the Father gives you true bread from heaven. The bread, of, the bread of, the, of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life. Jesus is saying, it's me. It's me. And then their response to this, they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. So I read that this week. That sounded familiar. That sounded a whole lot like that woman at the well where Jesus was offering her living water. And she was so perplexed by what he was saying and she just said, well, give me, give me the water there. I'll never be thirsty again. But when they say this, they, they have in their response, Sir, give us bread always. They're misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. And here's why. In the original language, this Sir, give us this bread always. It, it means give us this bread again and again and again and again. Continue giving us this bread. Now, now notice, why did they come across? They come across because they're food and right now. Jesus had already told them this. 
Jesus answered, I'm true, true, I say to you, you are seeking not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. And they said, well, we continue to give some bread. And when we run out, give us more. You already did it. You already you, you fed 5,000 men with just a, a basket full of bread. Just so you can continue to do this for us. They missed the whole point of the gospel. So now, <clears throat> let's, let's, we're going to dig into these, these next six verses. Verse 35 through 40. Because Jesus now, in this section, answers everything that's been happening in this chapter so far. Uh, before we really begin, I want to point out something to verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. That is the first of seven uh, I am statements that we will find in the Gospel of John. And, and, and we understand that those I am statements are an expression of deity because we go again back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, um, where it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So, so this is the first of those statements that we experience in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is expressing his deity by saying, I am the bread of life. Uh, but as he is saying, I am the bread of life. Notice, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's immediately uh, answering their, their request to serve Give us this bread again and again and again and again. And what Jesus is saying, when you come to me, you won't need it more and more and more and more. It's eternal. It's everlasting. You will never again thirst. You will never again hunger. Let's talk about this section of scripture here before we dive into the individual verses. Uh, we see here in verse number 35 that Jesus moves away, or doesn't move away, but he, he adds thirst to hunger. That is a theme that will continue through the rest of chapter 6 and ultimately throughout the Gospel of John. We see it in verse 53, uh, where it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Um, number two, we begin to see the metaphors of not hungering and thirsting again. This will continue through this section, the, the, the metaphors of hungering and thirsting after God. Now, as we just read, um, even in that verse 53, where it says, So Jesus said them, Truly, truly, I say you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, you have no wife in you. That's not literal things. We have to understand that. Jesus is using figurative language. Uh, we even see in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Again, this is all a metaphorical thing pointing to something. Again, we see the beginning of the I am statements here in verse 35. And we see um, the Old Testament parallel uh, to the thought of Jesus being the bread of life. Uh, that is in Isaiah 55, verse number 1, which is... Uh, looking forward to an eschatological reality, end-time reality of our salvation. Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The promise, the promise in the Old Testament that a Messiah is coming that will provide every need that we have, and those needs are made eternal for all time. 
So that's kind of setting the stage, really, for what we're diving into here in John. The question that we're asking ourselves, as we talked about in the beginning, why do you see Jesus? Why are there seven to 10,000 people here seeking after Jesus? What is it? And, and why are they seeking him for the wrong reason? Why do we see uh, people all over our world today proclaiming that they're following and seeking after Jesus with it, by testing the fruit? It's not right. Verse 36. Let me read it. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. The first thing Jesus does here in this text is he charges, and now he's talking to Galileans, his own people. He charges them with unbelief. He's saying, you see me, you watched what I did, and yet you don't believe They've seen the divine revealer. They have seen Christ. They have seen him at work. They have seen him perform miracles. They have seen him heal people. They have seen him do, do, do. They've heard his teaching. But only their appetite for political power, for entertainment, for curiosity, only that appetite has been filled. They hope that he's the Messiah so that he could take his throne amongst the Jewish people. They, they like being entertained by, by Jesus turning this water into wine, taking these loaves and then turning them into enough to feed a whole crowd. They're curious of who is this man? What is he doing? But you see, that appetite has been filled. It's been pleased. But not their faith. Not their faith. So how then can you see the works of Jesus? How can you see the miracles? How can you see, hear the words of his teaching from his mouth and yet not believe? That's the question. As I read the page of scripture, and I scratch my head thinking about that question often. How did these people walk with Jesus through life? How did they follow him around and watch what he did? Hear his teachings. And even Jesus being so crystal clear that he was the Messiah for of the Old Testament. How did this happen? And yet then they killed him for it. Verse 37. Jesus says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's almost as if we have a, a theological explosion happening in verse 37. Because we would almost, we would almost think that, well, if if Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that was his perfect. And yet here you have thousands and thousands of people following. And yet Jesus has now looked at them and said, you don't believe. Has Jesus failed? Does this mission fail? What hope do we have? Well, in the first part of the verse, verse 37, 
we see Jesus' success put into motion. It is, it is bringing to pass God's redemptive work. Let me read it. All the Father gives me will come to me. Uh, we sang a song. When I had to scribble down some words there, I knew them, but I better. I forgot the ministry. I would have forgot that too. Victory Jesus. He saw me and bought me with his redeeming love. That's it. That's a commentary of this verse, right? He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming love. All that the Father gives me will come to me. It's as if God is giving a gift to the Son and that gift is those that come to Jesus. And then the last part of this verse beautifully uh, encapsulates what the gospel is. God gives the gift to Jesus and what is given will not be lost by Jesus, but will be kept. All those that come to Jesus are a gift that God has given to his son. And Jesus says, when the Father gives me a gift, I will not lose it. I will not lose it. Could you imagine being in that crowd? And right after Jesus has sent me, sent me, You've seen me, yet you don't believe. But all the Father gives me, they'll come to me, and I will not cast them out when they come. I think it would make us ask some questions. Why are we seeking Him? So verse 38, 39, or 38 through 40, so. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The four in the beginning of verse 38 is why Jesus will keep all of those that come to him. So this is the reason, this is how, that, that when we come to Christ and God gives us, gives Jesus the gift of us, Okay, this is this is why Jesus keeps it for why I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, Jesus says, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's why I won't lose you. That's why. The reason, the entire purpose of Jesus coming, the incarnation. We go to the beginning of John, the beginning of Luke, the beginning of Matthew. Mark doesn't really touch on the incarnation, but, but the Jesus coming to the world as a baby, the whole purpose of that, the coming down from heaven was not to do His own will, but it was to do the Father's will who sent Him. And that will of the Father is that the Son will lose nothing of what the Father has given to Him. The one the Son raises up in the last day is the one the Father has gifted the Son. They have looked to Him. They have cried out to the Son in faith. They have came to Jesus for salvation. And Jesus has done the work. Three points I want to make from this text. Number one, 
a theme throughout the Gospel of John is the divine sovereignty and salvation. So what John does for us that is different than the Gospel or other Gospel writers, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they show us salvation from the point of our responsibility to it. Okay, We all have a responsibility to repent of our sin and believe. And if we fall short of that responsibility, we go to hell. John shows us the other side. God's luck. And the beauty of salvation is when those two things come together. People gifted to the Son by the Father that will be preserved until the end by the Son. It is people responsibility to look to the Son and believe on Him. And we must do that to enjoy eternal life. Jesus made a reference in John chapter 3 to the snake that would be lifted up in the wilderness. He was talking about the book of Numbers when the fiery serpents came on the ground because what were the people of Israel doing? They were grumbling. And so as the fiery serpents were on the ground, God made a way of salvation. He had made a way for atonement that, that if they looked to the serpent that Moses held up, the staff that Moses held up, they would be set free from that affliction. Much is the same. As we look to the Son, Jesus, God has made a way. And His way is through His Son who came not to do His own will, but the will of the Father who sent Him. And as we look unto the Son, we will enjoy eternal life as well. Number two. The guarantee that the Son will lose nothing is rooted in His obedience to the Father. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent. <clears throat> Jesus loves us. We know Jesus loves us. But we, everyone in here, better be thankful that Jesus loves the Father more than he loves us. Because Jesus loves the Father so much and wants to be obedient to the Father and bring the Father glory so much that our salvation is kept in heaven because of that. Because of Jesus' obedience to the Father. Matthew chapter 4, the temptation in the garden, or the temptation upon the mouth of Satan. Jesus is tempted in every way we can imagine. He held the line. He stayed obedient to the Father. As we move forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and John doesn't record Gethsemane, the other three do, but the Garden of Gethsemane, as he is there, it says he's sweating as if he's, the drops of blood are falling from his head. He is so overcome with what is getting ready to happen at the cross. And even as he's, as he's there in that garden, he prays, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Whatever it is. And then as he goes to the cross, he goes in perfect obedience to the will of the Father to become the lamp slain before all the world to pay the price for sin. It's not, listen, I know we like to we like to romanticize it and we like to think, well, it's the love Jesus had for me is the reason that he hung on that cross. If that was it, we would be in trouble. But it is the obedience and love that the Son had for the Father that He hung and stayed on that cross. And you and I need to be very, very thankful for that. 
Very thankful for that. From temptation to Gethsemane to the cross, it was obedience to the Father that 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 our guarantee for our salvation is rooted in those things. Number three, and we'll close with this in a question. We see in verses 39 and 40, we read them again. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. And here's where I want us to focus. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. The eschatological reality of our salvation, again, rooted in the obedience of the Son to the Father. God gave Jesus His Son a gift. And it is all those that would believe. And Jesus has walked in perfect obedience. He walked in perfect obedience. Keeping the will of the Father. That the gift that God had given the Son watch this that Jesus will raise it up again. On that last day. And say. Father. I kept everyone. Every one. You gave me. I kept. I secured. I didn't. I've had victory. We have won. We have overcome. Every one that you said was yours. They are back. What does God say? Every knee will battle, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Manna in the wilderness left the Israelites displeased. Miracles in Galilee left the followers empty. What about you? What about you? Is Jesus the bread of life where you'll never hunger again? Is he living water where you'll never thirst again? Or is he just a tagline on the end of your life? You say, I've been to church today. I feel better about myself today. I've seen a great move of God. I've seen miracles. I've seen things happen. Or is he everything? Because the implication is this. Without the bread, without the water, we'll die. Our eternity, the reality of our eternity, will be death and hell. But with Christ, with Christ, the reality of our eternity will be life. Be life with Him forever.
divine sovereignty and salvation, the obedience of Jesus to the Father and not losing any that he has been given. It's been a wonderful picture seeing how it is that the Father and the Son work together to secure your salvation. You've been listening today to Tyler Ford in our sermon cast from John chapter 6. We encourage you to join us each and every Saturday morning for our regular podcast and go to our website halfwaytheirministries.org to find many resources to help you on your way home as you follow Jesus.